Good morning. The title of this morning's message is Finished Work Faith. This morning we are going to continue in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, and we will be looking at the story of Abraham's test of faith. Now, I think it's safe to say that most of us already know that Abraham passed his test of faith. But what was it about his faith that enabled him to pass his test of faith? I propose that Abraham's faith enabled him to do the hardest thing in the world, put his child on an altar, because he had the finished work kind of faith. And understanding this kind of faith would have been very beneficial for the Hebrew baby believers to understand and remember, because this was primarily their biggest problem. (laughs) They had faith in Jesus, but it hadn't quite matured into the finished work kind of faith. And that's because they had not yet been fully convinced in their hearts that their salvation was, in fact, a finished work of Christ which is most certainly the reason the author of Hebrews wrote this letter. It was to open their eyes, to make them see, (laughs) to open their eyes to the fact that salvation is a completely finished work and an absolutely free gift of God's grace. As we have already seen throughout the first ten chapters of Hebrews, the author wants his readers to come to the conclusion that what Jesus did on the cross completely paid for all sin, for all people, and for all time. In other words, what Jesus did was completely and eternally enough. (laughs) Jesus, all by himself, is enough. (laughs) No other sacrifices of any kind were needed or wanted by God from his people in order to obtain or even to maintain their right standing with him. They simply needed to be fully persuaded in their hearts that faith in Jesus and his once-for-all sacrifice was, in fact, all that would ever be needed in order to receive the blessings and the promises of their Heavenly Father. No more sacrifices of any kind were necessary. Only faith, and in particular, the finished work kind of faith. Now, when I say finished work kind of faith, I'm attempting to describe the difference between those who know. (laughs) They know that they know that they know that they are forever saved. And those who hope that they will be saved when they die. Both have faith in Jesus. But only those who know and are fully persuaded in their hearts that salvation is a finished work can actually rest in their Father's goodness. grace. Unfortunately, many churches teach believers that they are not actually completely saved or safe from hell (laughs) until they reach heaven. (laughs) So until they get to heaven, they have to work at keeping themselves saved by becoming more and more saved. (laughs) And those who are working hard at keeping themselves saved look to their own attitudes and actions and emotions to determine if, in fact, they are still saved. 
They don't look unto Jesus and his finished work on the cross because they have been taught their eternal salvation is determined by how well they walk in obedience to the law of Moses. Many are taught that they are responsible to keep the law of Moses, except for those dietary and ceremonial laws. Those laws, Christians are allowed to break. <laughs> Which is a really crazy thing to believe in light of Galatians 5, 1 through 3. Here the Apostle Paul says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You know what that is? The law. It's not sin. Did Christ take care of sin? Yes. Were we prisoners of sin? Yes. Are we free? Yes. Now that you're free, don't go back into a prison of law-keeping that doesn't make you right with God or more right with God. <laughs> Doing the law in order to be found right is the problem. Now, walking with Jesus will look like you're trying to keep the law without even trying. <laughs> That's the whole point. It's Jesus living in us and through us. It looks just like Jesus walked. Verse 2, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. He says, if you're going to keep the law of circumcision, and you think that circumcision is what makes you right with God, then you have to do all of the law. So it's either Jesus, or law, but not both. Telling Christians that they need to keep part of the law is ridiculous. If you're going to keep the law, you got to do the whole thing. In other words, being right in God's sight by trying to keep the law of Moses actually means that you have to keep all of the law of Moses, and nobody will tell you tell that to a Christian. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the already saved Galatians, who were also baby believers, who were being taught by the Judaizers that they were not completely saved unless they followed the laws of Moses, which included the law of circumcision. Paul's point here is that if they started trusting in their own ability to keep the law, for right standing with God, then they would stop trusting in Jesus and the finished work of the cross. They couldn't actually trust him both at the same time. You can't believe the law makes you right and believe Jesus is all you need. You have to choose, basically, if you want to have peace. You can live in that double-minded world if you want. <laughs> I don't recommend it. <laughs> It's really quite miserable, <laughs> but Jesus is better. <laughs> the book of Hebrews, Jesus is better. <laughs> there is no rest or peace or assurance for the believer who constantly looks to their own ability to either make themselves right or keep themselves right with God, which is exactly where a large portion of the church lives. They live in fear that somehow they won't make it till the end. <laughs> Many live in self-condemnation 
because they find they can't keep the law perfectly through their own strength and self-effort. And then they usually find that they don't seem to be able to make their faith work for them, even though they're trying very hard to make their faith work for them. You know, try harder, believe harder, pray harder. Do you ever do that? <laughs> Does doing it harder work? No. <laughs> Because there's no faith in trying harder. <laughs> faith is about trusting that Jesus is enough. So all of that frustration is caused by trying to live under both covenants at the same time. And this is why the Apostle Paul goes on to tell them this in verse 6 of the same chapter. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Our faith, if you look it up, it has the concepts of being active and efficient and energizing. Okay, It causes you to do something. <laughs> faith working in you will cause you to produce works of faith. Okay, Not works of the law, works of faith. Only faith being energized through God's love is what works in us. Many teach in the body of Christ that your faith won't work unless you're walking in love. It's up to you to walk in love first, and then maybe your faith will work. It has nothing to do with it. <laughs> Our faith is not energized or actively effective because we love God or others. Instead, our faith is activated or energized and made effective when we understand how much our Father and our Jesus love us. The word love in this sentence, in the Strong's Concordance, is number 26. It's the plural form of number 25 in the Concordance, which is the Greek word we all call and pronounce incorrectly, agape. <laughs> Everybody pronounces it agape. According to the Strong's Concordance, it means agape. <laughs> Little difference in the syllables there. <laughs> But it says this, the plural definition is used of God's love toward us, always. And his love for us is a feast for us to continually feed on. And when our hearts are completely convinced of his great love and his unconditional acceptance of us, our faith or our trust in him is energized and activated so that we will find that we can do even the hardest of things because we know our Father is kindly disposed to do us good and only good. He, and he always keeps his word. So, I'm sorry, the definition is love, affection, or benevolence, which means to be kindly disposed to do us goodness. I mean, that's his bent. <laughs> He's bent to be good to us. <laughs> but it's specifically, it's always used in the plural. When we're talking about Agape love toward man, it'll be the singular version. So it says agape, and then in the, when it's talking about God's love, that's not enough. It's got to be bigger. So they add an S. <laughs> God's loves this feast of love, this all-encompassing kind of love. That's what energizes our faith. In the beginning of verse 6, the phrase, in Christ Jesus, refers to what God has already accomplished through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. 
the finished work of salvation. And in the finished work of salvation, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any power to make those who are already declared righteous by faith either more righteous or less. We are completely righteous because we are in Christ Jesus by faith. And our faith becomes powerful and effective in our lives when we understand our Father's love for us has already provided us with a finished work salvation. We can't mess it up. (laughs) And this is the same spiritual reality that Abraham had stepped into. He stepped into a finished work kind of faith, even though he was before any kind of covenant. (laughs) Abraham knew God. God was his dearest friend. And he knew from experience that God was completely trustworthy. God was always saving his bacon, (laughs) even though he had lied to kings who could kill him. (laughs) God was the faithful covenant partner to always rescue him. Abraham had learned that whatever God said, God would see to it that his word was fulfilled. He knew that whatever God said, it was as good as done. And that's because God helped Abraham to see the promises as something that was already done in the spiritual realm. God taught him to have the finished work kind of faith, the kind of faith that causes people to act like they belong to another realm. In Hebrews 11.13 of the Passion Translation, it tells us what this finished work kind of faith looks like. It says this, These heroes, all the heroes that came before, all died still clinging to their faith, not even receiving all that had been promised to them. But they saw beyond the horizon the fulfillment of their promises and gladly embraced it from afar. They all lived their lives on earth as those who belonged to another realm. The eyes of faith see beyond the natural into the supernatural. And Abraham began to see that reality, that God lived in a different realm. He wasn't always visible. But that what God had in that visible realm could be accessed by faith in what God had said. They lived like everything that was promised was already done. Because that's what God taught them to believe. To believe that if I said it, it's a done deal. Period. (laughs) God taught him to think that way and to believe that way. So let's pick up Abraham's story in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. I have it for you in the Passion Translation. Faith operated powerfully in Abraham, for when he was put to the test, he offered up Isaac. Even though he received God's promises of descendants, he was willing to offer up his only son. For God had promised, through your son Isaac, your lineage will carry on your name. Abraham's faith made it logical to him that God could raise Isaac from the dead. And symbolically, that's exactly what happened. So that's the story of Abraham's test of faith in a nutshell, short and to the point. But there's a whole lot more to the story. 
And because the writer of Hebrews knows his Jewish audience, he knows he doesn't have to fill in all the details. They can recite it word for word. <laughs> so he doesn't go into the whole thing. But he wants them to see and to meditate upon what kind of faith Abraham was operating in. So we're going to take a closer look at his story and his promises. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we see the first time God tells Abram that he makes him into a great nation. I have it for you in the Young's Living Translation. And I chose this translation because it specifically does not change the verb tenses of the scripture. Hebrew language doesn't have any future verb tenses. There is no will. I will do this. That doesn't exist in their language. So God spoke to them in Hebrew. And you'll see how it's translated into English when it's translated literally. And Yehovah, or Yahweh, saith unto Abram, Go for thyself from thy land and from thy kindred and from the house of thy father unto the land which I shew thee. And I make thee become a great nation and bless thee and make thy name great and be thou a blessing. And I bless those blessing thee and him who is disesteeming thee, I curse. And blessed in thee have been all the families of the ground, of the earth. What I want you to hear is how finished <laughs> everything sounds. Nothing is thrown into tomorrow. Nothing. Everything is, it is done or is happening right now. One or the other. <laughs> this is how they talked. And this is how God talked to them. Promises were never thrown into the future. Way off somewhere. No, these are done. How did they know they were done? Because God said they were done. Everything, when God speaks, is now or done. <laughs> so God tells him, I make you today. I make you a great nation. Poof, you're a great nation. <laughs> God says, you are blessed. You are empowered to prosper. And poof, he's blessed. He's empowered to prosper. He's blessed and can't be unblessed. God has finished it. He says, this is now what you are. And God says, all the family of the earth has already been blessed in you. Poof. The whole world is blessed because of Abraham. But where is it done? Poof. It happened. But where did it happen? <laughs> Can't you see Abraham going, I am? I don't feel any different. I, I don't look any different. <laughs> it's that other realm that God lives in. The realm where God hides from us physically. The realm that they were called to live by faith from. The faith that sees that the promises are already done in and through God. I believe that the way Abraham hears God affects the way Abraham believes God. Because scientists now know that our brains don't actually like future tense words. Our brains prefer present tense and past tense. We can believe more easy if we know something is, in fact, already done. 
even if we can't see it with our physical eyes yet. Knowing something is already done enables us to act like it's already done. And peace comes to our hearts when we know that what is promised is actually already done. It would be like if someone was behind in their mortgage payments and they were fretting about the possibility of losing their house, but then someone who loves them comes to them and says, it's okay, I've made all the back payments. You don't need to worry. If they believed what that person had said, then instantly peace would fill their heart. Because even though they haven't seen it with their own eyes yet, they know and trust the person who made the promise that it was, in fact, a finished work. But if that person had simply told them that they were going to pay the late payments sometime in the future, <laughs> it would not have the same effect. <laughs> that person would not suddenly feel the peace that something is finished. Now, they might feel better knowing help is on the way, <laughs> but they really still couldn't rest until it became a finished work reality. So if Abraham believes God, and he does, then believing that God has already done what he said he has done, even though Abram couldn't see it yet, Abraham had a faith in a finished work. We usually think finished work is for the new covenant. Well, this is about God's character. We know the new covenant is finished because God says it's finished. We believe because the person who says it is trustworthy. Same God. <laughs> under the old covenant, God's promise, and he wasn't under any covenant yet. This was grace by faith. So even in the old covenant, whatever God promised would have been spoken just like this. It's a done deal. It's already finished. You can trust that it's all ready, finished. We see the same kind of thing in chapter 17, shortly after God made a covenant with Abram. I have it for you again in the Young's literal translation. And God saith unto Abraham, Sarai, thy wife, thou dost not call her name Sarai, for Sarah is her name. Poof! Name change. <laughs> I have blessed her and have also given to thee a son from her and I have blessed her and she hath become nations. Kings of peoples are from her. Poof. <laughs> She's not even pregnant yet. <laughs> I have given thee a son from her. <laughs> 17. And Abraham falleth upon his face and laugheth and saith in his heart, to the son of a hundred years is one born. That's how he refers to himself. <laughs> and doth Sarah. I love this. God just told him that he changed Sarai's name to Sarah. Abraham, just like that. Poof, her name is Sarah. <laughs> he got it. <laughs> doth Sarah, daughter of 90 years, bear? And Abraham saith unto God, Oh, that Ishmael may live before thee. In other words, I got this other kid too, God. <laughs> and God saith, Sarah thy wife is certainly bearing a son to thee, and thou hast called his name Isaac. 
thou hast already called his name Isaac. And I have established my covenant with him, even though he's not even a twinkle in anybody's eye yet, <laughs> for a covenant age during or perpetually to his seed after him. As to Ishmael, I have heard thee. Lo, I have blessed him and made him fruitful and multiplied him very exceedingly. Twelve princes doth he beget, and I have made him to become a great nation. Poof. <laughs> he was 13. <laughs> he didn't have 12 babies. <laughs> what God says is done, is in fact done, and will come to pass in the natural. Verse 21, and my covenant I established with Isaac, whom Sarah doth bear to thee at this appointed time in the next year. God spoke in a language of finished works. He was telling them the future, but spiritually speaking, it was already all done because God said it was already done. But in order to help Abram and Sarai to be fully persuaded of these truths in their hearts, God changed their names. In other words, he gave them new identities. He told them to call each other by these new names and that this would help them to believe that they were actually what God said they were. Abram's name meant exalted follower, and God changed it to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Sarai's name meant princess or ruler, and her new name also meant princess, but with grace added to her. She would be a princess from whom kings would come. In other words, she would be a mother of a multitude too. Poof. <laughs> Done. <laughs> this name changing was also part of the covenant process that God made with Abram. God sort of shared his name with them. It was common in ancient times for someone's name to include part of their God's name. And God's name has two H's. I have it for you to see. It's called the Tetragrammaton. It's how they wrote in Hebrew. It's yud Hey vav Hey. The H's are called Hey. <laughs> We pronounce it Yahweh. When they first wrote Hebrew, they didn't have any vowels. So that's why there's only four consonants. And scholars have deduced that the best way to interpret these four consonants is the name Yahweh. So what God did is he gave them each an, an H to their name. That's really all he did. He wasn't writing it down for them. But <laughs> But what it did is it indicated that they were in covenant with God. They took God's name. A bride takes her husband's name. Same kind of thought. The letter H is called He, and it's the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it represents grace. And grace provides divine enablement. <laughs> so they were divinely enabled to believe in the promises that were given to them as a finished work. Also, I think God used this to teach them to say what God says. And God calls things that are not as though they were. We can see this in Romans chapter 4, 
verses 17 through 21. I have it for you in the King James, just because it's so very familiar. The context is the Apostle Paul making an argument for righteousness by faith as opposed to righteousness by law-keeping. So, of course, he brings up Abraham. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. I love that when they translated it into English, they kept it right. <laughs> I have made thee a father of many nations, before whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things that be not as though they were. This is a reference to God changing their names and calling them something they hadn't yet outwardly become. <laughs> but spiritually, that's who God said they were. Abraham wasn't outwardly a father of many nations, but that's what God told him he had already become. By grace, God had empowered them to believe, to receive a renewing of their youth. Always a good thing to believe for. <laughs> God revitalized that which was dead in the natural and beyond natural restoration. Verse 18. Who, against hope in the natural, believed in hope in the supernatural, that he might become the father of many nations according to to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. I personally think that Sarah and Abraham constantly calling each other by their new identities really helped them to see themselves the way God saw them. Sarah would constantly hear, Princess from whom kings will come, <laughs> over and over and over, until eventually she would come to see herself as the princess from whom kings would come. And it wouldn't take very long, about three months. <laughs> She's going to get pregnant in about three months. <laughs> and Abraham would constantly hear himself being called father of a multitude over and over and over. Eventually, he must have come to the conclusion, I really am father of a multitude. Look, a baby is born. <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> and eventually their hearts were fully persuaded that they were what God said they were. And he had done what he had said he had done because it had become a finished work in their hearts. And because it was a finished work in Abraham's heart when God called him to a test, he was ready because God's promises had already become a finished work in his heart. He had learned to live from another realm, the realm where God's promises are already accomplished. And he walked into those realities by the finished work kind of faith, knowing it's already done. He knew God had already made him a father of a multitude and that the multitude would come through Isaac. That's why Hebrews eleven seventeen. 17 
And the Passion says this. Faith operated powerfully in Abraham. For when he was put to the test, he offered up Isaac. Even though he received God's promises of descendants, he was willing to offer up his only son. He could do what God asked because he says, no, no, Isaac is the promised child. All of this is going to happen through Isaac. So, hmm, how is God going to do that? Verse 18, for God had promised, through your son Isaac, your lineage will carry on his name. Okay, so Isaac's got to stick around. (laughs) Abraham's faith, I love this, made it logical to him that God could raise Isaac from the dead. And symbolically, that's exactly what happened. I love that this version says that Abraham's faith made it logical to him that God could raise the dead, because that is the logical conclusion. God said that he had made, had made, past tense, Abraham a father of a multitude, and that it was a done deal. It was a finished work. So the only reasonable thing to believe, then, is that God would have to raise Isaac from the dead. There was no other logical conclusion (laughs) in light of what God had said. So Abraham did what God had asked of him, not knowing why God would ask him to do this. But I'm sure Abraham was overwhelmingly relieved (laughs) that God had stopped him before he could actually kill his son and that God didn't actually have to raise him literally from the dead. So why does verse 19 say that Isaac was raised symbolically? Why would we need to know that Isaac was raised from the dead symbolically? Because this entire event was a type and shadow of what God the Father and Jesus the Son would do many, many years later. Abraham had told his son, Isaac, at the age of about 33, they had to go on this three-day journey to offer a burnt offering. And it just happened to be in the same place where Christ would one day be crucified. And on the way, the son asks, where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. But when they arrived to the place where God had showed them, in full agreement, Isaac allowed his father to bind him and to place him on the top of the wood as the offering. But before Abraham could slay his son, God stopped him and provided a substitute a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. The lamb ram (laughs) God provided was slain in Isaac's place. In the original story, no one was literally raised from the dead. But it was important that Abraham saw it in a figure or symbolically because this event was a type and shadow of how our Heavenly Father would send His only begotten Son as the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. Jesus would be the lamb ram with the thorns on his head. He would be the substitute sin offering for all mankind. And he would literally be raised to life again by the Father. All of these events foreshadowed what God would do through Jesus. And God provided the knowledge of these past events so that the Hebrew baby believers could connect the dots. 
and believe completely in Jesus and his finished work. Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus is who God says he is, and he did what God said he did. <laughs> the Hebrew baby believers needed to follow Abraham's example of calling himself what God had called him. First, God called him righteous by faith, apart from any kind of law-keeping. Abraham knew that he was in a grace-based covenant whereby God was the one responsible to bring the promises to pass. <laughs> but God helped him to have the finished work kind of faith by teaching him to call things that were not outwardly as though they were, actually existed in another realm. Abraham and Sarah learned to live from the spiritual realm by their faith. Faith sees what cannot be seen with physical eyes. It sees what God says is real. And what God says is done in the spiritual realm is, in fact, really done. And when we believe it, then our faith acts in accordance with what is actually real and true in the spiritual realm. And this is exactly what the Hebrew baby believers needed to do. They needed to believe that their salvation was a finished work of Christ. They needed to believe that they didn't need to add anything to Jesus. Nothing. No more lambs. No more tithing. No more anything. Jesus and Jesus alone was more than enough. And that they were just as righteous by faith in Jesus as Abraham was by faith in God the Father. Abraham was declared righteous only because he believed God. But Abraham and Sarah didn't believe God in their own strength. I love this. <laughs> we, they couldn't make faith either. <laughs> it was God revealing himself to both of them and speaking to both of them that persuaded their hearts to believe. God had to make a special trip so that Sarah could hear him say, Sarah's going to have a baby. He didn't want her to just take Abraham's word for it. He wanted her to hear for herself what God had waiting for her. And then because they believed, they acted in agreement with what God had called them. There was some physical things that needed to be done for babies to be born. <laughs> and they started calling each other by their God-given new identities. And it's the same for us. It's the voice of our Father and our Jesus that persuades us of the reality of the truths of the new covenant. The truth of our salvation is it is a finished work and an eternal reality. Everything we need for life and godliness has been granted to us through his great and precious promises. And we access those realities by speaking in agreement with what God has promised and what God, our Father, has named us. Our Father calls us righteous. He calls us prosperous. He calls us blessed. He calls us healed. He calls us wealthy. <laughs> he calls us all the good things that he wants us to have. We are the accepted and the beloved. We need a new picture <laughs> of who and what we are in Christ. We are not failures. Don't call yourself dumb. Don't call yourself stupid. 
Have you done that? Oh, I'm so stupid. No, you're not. You had a moment there. That's okay. It's gone. I am the righteousness of God in Christ, and I have the wisdom of God. <laughs> and I will walk in wisdom. <laughs> we have to say what God says. Now, in the past, through the Word of Faith movement, they took this to an extreme that made lots of people disappointed. Because people thought, well then, if I say I'm a millionaire a million times, that will make me a millionaire. No. <laughs> what does God say? It isn't, what do I want from God? I want to be a millionaire. Well, being a millionaire means you have to work. <laughs> Are you willing to work? Do you have something you'd like God to prosper? God says, I've already prospered you. Put your hands to the thing that you want to prosper. <laughs> so it was taken out of context. People got really discouraged, thinking, my faith doesn't work. Our faith is not in the wishes. Our faith is in the word of our Heavenly Father. He persuades our heart. Even if, if he wants to, you to be a millionaire, he will tell you. <laughs> Why? Because then you could say, God has made me. God has made me. I am a millionaire in the spirit, and I'm going to work it out by faith. I'm going to walk it out with Jesus. What is God calling you? <laughs> what is God calling you? What are you in the spirit? You are one with Christ. And nothing is impossible. But in order for us to start acting on our faith, we've got to let the Father speak to us and tell us, I got you. You are what I say you are. You are blessed. You are prospering. You don't have to worry. I have already made a way, even if you can't see the way. Amen? Father, we thank you for the word of God, that it does energize our faith when we know how much you love us and you love to shower us with blessings, you love to be everything to us. We thank you, Father God, that that is who you are. You are everything. You are not part of our life. You are our life. We thank you, Father God, that you have made us these new creations in Christ Jesus, that we're not what we used to be. We just have some bad thinking left over. Help us, Father God, to renew our mind and to see us the way you see us, that we would call ourselves what you call us. We are the blessed. We are the righteous. We are the holy. We are prospering. We have everything we need for life and godliness because of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Mark Testerman, Senior Pastor of Triumphant Grace Ministries. I want to say thank you for listening to the finished work gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the good news found throughout the message has richly encouraged you in the love of the Father. Friends, this podcast is supported by the generous financial support of its listeners. And if today's message has ministered to you, then would you consider a gift that ministers back to us? You can text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 833 632 1315, or you can visit triumphantgrace.com and donate through PayPal or credit card. The cornerstone scripture for Triumphant Grace Ministries is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. For by one sacrifice, 
he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Great grace, such grace, triumphant grace to you. God bless you.